I would like us to focus today on the cardinal virtue of courage. Before we get to that, though, let's remember the collect for today. We ask God to grant that his faithful, grant his faithful people pardon and peace. This is one of the collects that is used by lay readers. If there is no priest present uh, to give the absolution, they'll pray this collect. We ask that you would grant us pardon and peace, God. That they may be cleansed, those people may be cleansed from all their sins and serve thee with a quiet mind. We ask for the peace that will help us to serve God with a quiet mind. And of course, this peace and a quiet mind is important regarding our theme of union with Christ, which is the theme of the third cycle of seven deadly sins during Trinity time. Union with Christ, that's the, this, it's kind of the ultimate goal. And we need quiet and we need peace to be at union with Christ. We are called by God to get past that cycle of our young Christian life where we sin and repent and then go right back and sin again and repent and then go right back and sin again. We're all familiar with that stage. Some of us say, yeah, I'm still there. But we're called to, be, to move past that um, And yes, we will struggle with sin all of our lives and always be going to God for forgiveness. But our hope is that as we grow, that loud cycle of purgation will calm a bit and we will lose the grating degradation to body, soul, and mind of our base sins and be able to contemplate more and more the mystery of God and find the roots of those sins that were so obnoxious to destroy and to dig up those roots even in a calmer and more, calmer and more determined manner. St. Cassian notes that an idle and lazy person will always be a stranger to the contemplation of God and to spiritual riches. Sloth is a killer to our desire for union with Christ. King Solomon says it this way, In all labor there is profit, but idle chatter leads only to poverty. We don't need the idleness nor the chatter. We need peace and quiet in our minds and souls so that we may do the work of God, which starts in our worship and prayer life, where we are called by God through the psalmist to be still and know that I am God. This deeper spiritual life, this entrance into the mystery of God is impossible when we are in the sin of axity or sloth, for then we will never move towards God and there will always be something else to do, something to keep us from this important task of pursuing union with Christ in peace and contemplation. Courage, my friends, is needed to move toward this goal. That goal of union with Christ. And this is a moment-by-moment practicing of the presence of God. Sounds like a good book title. It is a bringing to mind regularly the reality of the incarnation, the passion, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And by regularly, I don't mean once a month or once a week. Of course, our seasons and our weekly liturgy of the Eucharist reminds us of those things. No, we need to need the courage to bite off the truth that it is not even a day-to-day or day-by-day practicing of the presence of God, for our morning and evening offices will call us to do just that as well. It is a practicing of the presence of God that is moment by moment. That's what we're looking for. This is only done by the courage to take it up and practice it every day, until it is habitual. Our gospel lesson shows us the kind of courage it takes, the very human courage it is too. Our nobleman from the passage has the courage to go seek out Jesus and to ask. He he asks Jesus to heal his son. He has trust that Christ can heal, but he trusts in a certain way. I'm not degrading the trust he has, but apparently he needed more. In other words, he doesn't trust that Christ can heal his son without Christ being there. He implored Jesus to come down, come out of your way, come over here, see my son, heal my son. In contrast, the centurion, when asking Jesus to heal his servant, tells Jesus, just say the word, And he knows his servant will be healed. When Jesus heard it, St. Matthew records, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Jesus' response to the nobleman is different. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. It seems to be a bit of a challenge. The nobleman implores him again to help before his child dies. Jesus heals like the centurion at a distance and tells the man, go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went his way. But apparently the belief or trust of this man was not not quite up to snuff yet. When he hears that his son has recovered, and here's the time that he recovered. The father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives, and he himself believed and his whole household. So unlike the centurion, at the moment that Jesus speaks to him, says your son lives, he was hopeful. But note, you know, he then asked, well, what time did it happen? So he wasn't fully trusting, and so there was a progress. And God loves us, so much that he's going to even lay out the progress for those of us with weaker faith and give us the stepping stones to come to faith more and more. His courage, the nobleman's courage, was there, but it wasn't what it could have been. It wasn't coupled with the full faith that he needed, at least not during his encounter with Jesus. But by God's grace, he found the courage to believe fully, And to learn to trust in God by the end of the parable, by the end of the story, or, or, you know, not a parable. You and I don't always have the courage we need to fight sloth or to fight any of our sins, but baby steps forward are much better than sitting still, doing nothing, living in axity or sloth.
As we become more like Christ, we are clothed more and more in His righteousness and in His glory. Accident and sloth accepts rags instead of the glorious array of Christ. And those rags we often try to use, as Cassian says, to cover the disgrace of our idleness and shame rather than to keep us warm and adorn us with that costly and splendid garment of virtue which that wise woman in the Proverbs who is clothed with strength and beauty is said to have made, of which it is said strength and beauty are her clothing, and she rejoices in the latter days. Of course, being clothed in something very particular is a theme of our epistle today, isn't it? And if we are to inculcate the virtue of fortitude or courage, we must indeed act the part of the soldier of Christ. St. Paul says to the Ephesians, My brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. In order to have the peace and quiet mind, to contemplate the mysteries of God, and to live in that contemplation, we must be an accomplished soldier. We must wear truth about our middle, and it must go through all we are and all we do. We must wear righteousness on our chest, showing the world that we are Christ, and we must act accordingly. Wearing the shoes of peace of the gospel and holding our faith firmly, for it is our protection against the enemy of our peace. We have a helmet to protect ourselves. It is Christ's salvation of us out of chaos and sin. Our weapon to fight sloth and accident is the word of God, which reminds us of God's love for us and of our duty towards God and our fellow men. Note that St. Paul has told the Ephesians to stand, and the action that follows the arming scene is action indeed. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, particularly for our brothers and sisters in Christ and for the furtherance of his kingdom. If we see an arming scene in a movie... The action that follows is not usually pray. That's not what we're thinking. But this is the action of the faithful. The action that we see is not the action of the movie, the heroes of the story after an amazing arming scene, riding forward to fight the orcs and the goblins at Helm's Deep. That's a fantastic scene, by the way. But but Paul is trying to give us that scene because that's, that's the, uh, Tolkien didn't make that up. All the ancient literature, particularly um, the, the Nordic and the uh, Anglo-Saxon and the Celtic, all that ancient literature has that type of scene, <clears throat> that type of arming scene in preparation to go out and fight the great battle. So St. Paul is using that scene very particularly of the arming of the soldier of Christ and then the great battle that he's saying to participate in is the battle of prayer, the battle of worshiping God. <clears throat> so it's not the action we expect. It's not going out and fighting the orcs and the goblins of Helm's Deep. Or maybe it is. Maybe that's just what 
prayer is. I wonder if Tolkien had that passage in Ephesians in mind when he wrote that part of the story. You see, we're back to worship and prayer as the foundation for and the continued action of our union with Christ. So let us come to the altar of God, my friends, and participate in the once-for-all sacrifice of Christ for us that we might have the courage to continue the fight and to continue to work towards that mystical union with our Lord Christ. Amen.